Now today, we're also confronted with, and it seems like exactly as it has been in the New Testament as well, we are confronted with Jewish teachers coming along and trying to teach people in the church. And especially this is known in sacred names. Now, stop and think about it for a minute. If God wanted the Hebrew sacred names in the New Testament, don't you think that he would have put them there? The answer is yes. But in the New Testament, for the Father, that is his name. Now let's look at it here in John the 17th chapter, and we will see that that is his name. No sacred name carried over from the Old Testament. And that's because we are in a family relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. So we do not need the sacred names of the Old Testament. Now, many of those names are actually adjectival nouns, okay? But here in John 17, verse 5, and here's Jesus himself talking, okay? Now then, here would be a perfect place to introduce a Hebrew name. But he didn't. And the New Testament is not preserved in Hebrew, but Greek. It was not written in Aramaic first. Any Aramaic New Testament is a translation from the Greek. And that is called the Peshitta edition of the New Testament. Okay? But here in John 17, 5, we find this. Jesus' own words. So this way we know this is from God the Father and Christ. Verse 5, And Father, glorify me with your own glory, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay? So this also verifies there's not one God, there are not three gods, there are two. And that's what we find at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Now, verse 6, notice this. I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Now, what name did he manifest? The Father. The Father. You go clear back to Matthew, the sixth chapter, where Jesus gave the model prayer, and it starts out to prayer, our Father, who is in heaven, holy or hallowed is your name. See? Now, that's one thing. And there are a lot of people trying to come along and get you to use sacred names. Well, they are not required. They are not in the New Testament. And the name of Jesus is, in the Greek, Jesus, which is almost the same as Jesus in English. Okay? And Jesus does not come from the god Zeus of the pagan Greeks. Had nothing to do with it. There is an S pronunciation. There is no Z in the Greek in Jesus. So, sacred names is one. There are others that they try and bring, try and palm themselves off as experts and know more about the Bible than anyone else. Well, they don't. They are wrapped up in their 
traditions. Now this affects everything that we do. The Sabbath, the Holy Days, the Passover especially. Okay, now we'll get to it in a little bit. Why is it the Jews keep a 15 Passover? Well, you can ask the question, how much do the Jews really understand and actually believe? And we'll find that's far different than what they pretend is. Now, let's see what the Apostle Paul. Now, this is why God chose the Apostle Paul to convert him so that all the elements of Judaism would not take root in the church. Now, there were many attempts to do it, and we know, we'll probably look at it in Galatians, the second chapter, that Peter even got carried away with it because of the circumstances. So here, in Romans, the second chapter, verse 17. Now, this is what we're confronted with today. Pretty soon, we're going to have the Passover. And pretty soon, Jonathan Kahn is going to go through the traditional Judaism Passover on the night of the 15th. When we know that God has said that the 14th day of the first month is the Passover. Okay. And we have shown and have proved, and we're very thankful for Michael Heiss, because he is a very converted Jew. And as a matter of fact, the only one that I know personally who does not adhere to any traditions of the Jews. Now, he understands it perfectly. The Old Testament, the New Testament, we have the Old Testament translated into English because of Michael Heitz. All right? So, this is not an attack against the Jews because they're very touchy if anyone says, oh, you Jews are wrong. You're an anti-Semite. <laughs> Not so. Not so. But one thing, Paul spared nothing in talking back to the Jews because he was once one of the most zealous of those of Judaism of his day in persecuting the church and in carrying out the orders of the high priest. Okay? Verse 17. So he writes this right here in Scripture for us to understand. Behold, you are called a Jew, and you yourselves rest in the law and boast in God. Now that's what they do. Okay? And know his will. They're supposed to. But they don't and approve of the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you are persuaded that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light to those in darkness. And that's how they view all Gentiles. That's how they view all Christians. Now, when they look at the Christianity of Catholicism, granted, that's not of God. And when they look at the Christianity of the Protestants, they say that the Protestants are stupid because they say the law is done away and you don't have to keep it, and that is nonsense. So, here are the Jews stuck in between, and they can look and see all the faults of the Catholics, and they can look and see all the faults of the Protestants, but they can't see their own faults. And when was the last time you ever heard a Jew say 
I repent. Think on that for a minute. Whenever they have their problems, it's the enemy. It's not the hand of God of punishment. Twice God destroyed the temple, and they blamed the enemy rather than their own sins and rejection of Jesus Christ for the last one in 70 A.D. and then a repeat in 135 A.D. Okay? No. So Paul, in writing them, is telling me exactly how, how they view everyone else. So verse 21. Now then, you who are teaching another, do you not teach yourself also? A great principle to learn. No minister or teacher or elder or, let's just say, rabbi or evangelist or priest or pope, okay? You who teach another, what are you supposed to do? Exalt yourself above people to make them think that you're important? Or are we not ourselves to learn? Look, brethren, we're all learning, and I'm learning. And we'll never cease learning until we pass from the scene. But when the resurrection occurs, think about how much more we're going to learn. That's going to be an amazing thing. And we're going to look back at our human life, and we're going to think, Ooh, how stupid. <laughs> yes. Okay, now let's go on here, all right? An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of the knowledge and of the truth contained in the law. You then, who are teaching another, do you not teach yourself also? We should. You who preach... Do not steal. Are you stealing? Ha! Huh. Look what happened in the church of God when that took place. You who say, do not commit adultery. Are you committing adultery? Even if you label it by another name, it's still adultery, right? <laughs> I saw this stupidity on the news last night. There was this woman who is professing that she had gender identity as a man, but she just had a baby. So, she's proclaiming men can have babies. It doesn't matter what you stupid idea that people have up in their heads, and they may think they're a different gender than they really are. God made them male and female, and that's stamped on every gene and chromosome and cell in our bodies. So thinking that one is of another gender is satanic and stupid and harmful to the rest of society. Let's go on. You who abhor idols, are you committing sacrilege? You who boast in the law, are you dishonoring God through your transgression of the law? Yes. That's what they do. See? Now, for the days of unleavened bread. Try this one on for size. Since it says... In Exodus 13, there shall be no leaven seen in all your borders. Huh. If we don't see it, it doesn't exist. So what they do, they get sheets or blankets and they cover up the counters where there is the leaven and where there is leavened bread. And if it's out of sight, it doesn't exist. Okay. So you, through the law, are what? Transgressing the law, 
Because God means get it all out. See? That's a perfect example. Or some of them give the leaven to a Gentile to hold in safekeeping until, until the days of unleavened bread are over, and then they go get it back from the Gentile. Symbolically, that's going back to your old sins. Okay? <laughs> now, let me give you a good example of what the Jews don't know. We've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but let's look at it again. Let's come to Isaiah 9. And here's one verse, and I've asked Michael Heiss. Michael, how do the Jews understand Isaiah 9 and verse 6? Okay. Now, it's a very interesting verse. Okay. It's talking about the Messiah. Okay. So, they get part of it, but they don't understand the rest of it. Okay. Let's read it. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right. Let's read on, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with righteousness from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, what do we have combined in here? Number one, the birth of Christ. They reject that. Number two, that he is going to bring in everlasting righteousness. When is that going to be? When the plan of God is perfected. Revelation 21 and 22. Okay. Now, you look at the rest of it. The government, when he's going to be king over the whole earth. Okay. And the mighty God, yes, that's what he will be and is. The everlasting father. Now that, that even has people in the church hung up on that a little bit. How can Jesus be a father when he introduced to us the father? Well, when does the marriage of, of the lamb and the church take place? Well, up on the sea of glass, just before we all come back to the earth to take it over. All right? So then, all of those converted during the millennium will be, what? The children of the resurrected saints and Christ. And he will then be an everlasting father. Okay? Now, not knowing the New Testament or understanding what the New Testament is really about, the Jews don't understand that. Okay? Let's come back to Romans true here and let's look at it a little bit more. Verse 24. For through you the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles exactly as it is written. Isn't that true? Those who know nothing about the law and what the Jews are doing, they look at what the Jews are doing, and they are doing things that are blasphemy against God. And they think they're righteous. Look at what Jesus said of all their traditions, all of their laws, all of their rules, all of their regulations. And we've got the whole code of Jewish law with thousands of things that are in there, what you're supposed to do. And this is supposed to make you righteous. Okay. Well, they don't. See, because the truth is, in the New Testament, God is interested in the, the mind and the heart. Okay? That's what the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread is about, which we're going to have pretty soon here. So he says this, verse 25. For on the one hand, circumcision profits if you are observing the law. But they observe their tradition. 
And when they observe their traditions, what do they do? They reject the law of God, as Jesus said. Right? Okay. On the other hand, if you were a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Now, that really gets the Jews all upset. Okay? Tell them, your circumcision is worthless. You better run. (laughs) Okay? Therefore, if the uncircumcision, now listen to this. This is galling. This is like taking, you know, how, how do you train an animal not to pee on a carpet? Well, you take the animal, namely a dog, and put his nose in the pee and rub it in and make him realize you don't do this in the house. Okay? So what Paul is doing is the same thing. He is rubbing the noses of the Jews in their own hypocrisy. And so when they come trying to teach us and tell us what is right and tell us how to keep the Sabbath and tell us how to keep the holy days, It's all based on our traditions. Okay? Notice what he says. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised... Now listen carefully. Because the Jews look upon all uncircumcised males as ungodly. Okay? Notice what he's saying here. Therefore, if the uncircumcised is keeping the requirements of the law, huh, question. You look back, and that's the whole purpose of of Romans, is to bring out about Abraham, who received the blessing of God before he was circumcised. And he received the promises of God before he was circumcised. And he received the covenant of God when he was 85. Fourteen years before he was circumcised. So the whole plan of God coming down through Abraham began when he was uncircumcised. And what was it said to Isaac about Abraham? That Isaac would receive the promise because Abraham kept my laws, my statutes, my commandments, and obeyed my voice. Uncircumcised. Okay? Now, was he keeping the requirements of the law? Yes, he was. So that's Paul's referring to here. Okay, If the uncircumcision in keeping the requirements of the law shall not his uncircumcision be reckoned for circumcision. Why? Now he makes a point that is most important, which is the whole purpose of the New Testament, you see. And the whole purpose of conversion. The whole purpose of baptism. The whole purpose of loving God the whole purpose of keeping the Sabbath and holy days and everything of God, okay? So he says, shall not the uncircumcision who by nature is fulfilling the law. Amazing. Judge you who with the letter and circumcision are are a transgressor of the law. They don't think they're a transgressor of the law, but they are. And any time you replace God's law with your own law, you're sinning. And what are you doing? You're making yourself greater than God. 
Now, they don't look at it that way, but that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they think, and that's exactly how they approach a lot of things. And if you don't believe that is true, watch Jonathan Kahn. Because that's precisely how he acts. Verse 27 again. And shall not the uncircumcision who by nature is fulfilling the law judge you? Now that galls the Jews, a Gentile, uncircumcised, judging my behavior. Nonsense. Judge you who by the letter and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. Then Paul makes the point clear. And this has to do with conversion. This has to do with the full meaning of everything that we do in the New Testament, everything to do with keeping the laws of God, everything to do with how we should be serving God. Notice, for he is not a Jew who is outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is external in the flesh, okay, rather, see, He who is a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is of the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay? Now that sets the whole tone for the rest of the book of Romans. Now, let's come to Philippians, the third chapter, and let's see something else. Okay. No, we'll stop by Galatians 2, then we'll go to Philippians, the third chapter after that. Okay. Now then, here is why Paul was writing these things. And it comes down to our day, because we're going to be confronted by a lot of Jews, or those who believe in Jewish myths, trying to get us to follow them. And that goes for how you keep the laws. That goes for how you understand the word of God. That goes for how you keep the Passover, when you keep the Passover. That applies to everything. They come along, and especially the Protestants, they think, oh, a Jew, if we support Israel, oh, we're going to be blessed. Well, How's that going nowadays? Not so good, right? All right. Galatians, the second chapter. Now notice. Galatians 2, verse 11. See? And he makes the point really, really clear. See? Now, for when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be condemned. For before certain ones came from James. Now James, the brother of Jesus. All right. Now James was centered in Jerusalem and at the temple. And remember when Paul went to Jerusalem, he came to James and the elders. And James says to Paul, look at how many thousands believe and are zealous of the law. So then James had a political solution for Paul because people in Jerusalem were waiting to catch Paul so they could kill him. Good Christian? Okay. So you know the rest of the story. James said, you go be at charges for these men who have a vow, and you go ahead and you offer the things at the, t- at, at, at the temple to prove that you are not against the temple laws. Okay. Well, as long as the temple stood, that was okay. But that had nothing to do with conversion. Okay. It had to do with physical cleanliness and at the temple. So Paul did that. And he was caught, and they grabbed him, 
and they took him. And all of those who supposedly believed in Christ, they did what? They rioted to try and kill Paul. Right? And the Roman soldiers had to come down and and take Paul out of their hands and put him up on the steps of Fort Antonia, which was Roman property, and they couldn't get there. Then you remember the rest of the story. Paul asked the centurion, may I speak to the crowd? They said, yeah, go ahead. So he started speaking in Hebrew. Then a great silence fell upon the whole mob. And he explained about everything until he got to the word Christ. And they rioted and wanted to kill him. Okay. So the question is, how converted were these Jews while they were still at the temple? Well, if they wanted to kill Paul, you would have to assume not very converted, right, at best. Okay, so what did God do? God inspired that the Roman soldiers put him up in the fortress to protect him, and then it was revealed that there were 40 men who had taken an oath to eat nothing until they had killed Paul. And so the centurion was inspired by God to take Paul, take him down to Caesarea, get him out of Jerusalem. And in the meantime, just before that, a vision of Christ appeared to Paul, and he told Paul, you have witnessed well in Jerusalem. Now you must go to Rome. I like the way he got to Rome. Spent two years in Caesarea. He stood for his own self-defense. And as a Roman prisoner, he had free passage to Rome. Now, you can read about it. It was a rather exciting trip in the middle of the uh, uh, the stormy winter, but he finally got there. Okay. Now, here we have this. Peter comes to Antioch. Here come those from James. Oh, oh, what was the problem with James? He didn't fully understand that the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. So, Peter didn't want a bad report going back to James. So let's read it. But when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be condemned. For before certain ones came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. However, when they came, he drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles, being afraid of those of the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocritical act inasmuch that even Barnabas got carried away with their hypocrisy. See? Now it's true. See? Here's a good lesson here. You don't come to church and put on your Sabbath best and just show how good you are. When you go out the door, you become your own carnal self again. See? That's a good lesson there. No. See? We all come together on the Sabbath to learn of the Word of God so that we can yield to God, so that we can overcome. See? And that's quite a thing. That's why we have the Passover, why we have unleavened bread every year. See? Because note this, as long as we're in the flesh and as long as we still have the the law of sin and death, then is, guess what? We're going to have to fight against sin up here, right? As well as out here, see? And how do we do that? By understanding the word of God, yielding to God, learning in prayer and study, growing in grace and knowledge, okay? Now, 
when you rely on a physical thing, like Peter was doing here, what are you doing? You're rejecting the purpose of Jesus Christ. Because you're thinking, oh, if I eat it over here, away from those uncircumcised Gentiles over here, I'm more righteous and I have an in with God, but these people don't. And to this day, the Jews consider all Gentiles, even if circumcised and are proselytes, as inferior to themselves. Okay? So let's see right here. Verse 12, for before certain ones came from James and so forth, he was, he was eating, separated himself. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews joined him in this hypocritical act insomuch that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they did not walk uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Now, you understand why God chose Paul. He was so steeped in the traditions of the Jews, like he says there in the first chapter of Galatians, that he was being exalted above all of his contemporaries. Okay. So he said in front of them all, if you being a Jew are living like the Gentiles, that is separated from the Jews, okay, and not according to Judaism, why do you compel the Gentiles to Judaize? Okay. Now, in America, we can understand this. When there was total segregation, what did they have? The blacks had to stay to themselves. And the whites had to stay to themselves. Okay. Look at all the problems that caused. And we're still living with that today. And now it's coming back the other way. Okay? So look at what they did. So here, here's what Paul had to say to him. And when I saw that they did not walk uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of them all, if you being a Jew are living like the Gentiles and not according to Judaism, why do you compel the Gentiles to Judaize? Now, Stop here for a minute and figure this. Acts, the 10th chapter, who was sent to Cornelius, an uncircumcised Gentile, and a whole household of uncircumcised people that he preached to, and God gave the Holy Spirit, and then they baptized them, and he stayed for many days with them. See? This was a big, big deal. Why do you compel the Gentiles to Judaize? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of law. There is that special phrase, one of the most difficult to understand in the New Testament, and especially in most of the modern translations. Now, we have it in Appendix Z in the Bible, but we're also now, it's right now, at Sheridan Books being printed, the Apostle Paul's teachings on God's laws. It's all in one book. And this will be one of the most vital books that you need to get, and you need to know, and you need to understand completely. See? Works of law. Most translations insert two definite articles, the. The works of the law. But that's not what it says. And that's not what it means. Therefore, they say, the law has been done away. The law has been fulfilled. Okay? And even Tyndale's. Tyndale's greatest mistake was Romans 3.20 that the righteousness of God without the fulfilling of the law. Well, you can't have righteousness of God without law. Though he himself believed in keeping the law, he translated that there 
and that set the whole Protestant world on its ear from that day till this day. Okay? All right. Not justified by works of law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ, we who have believed in Christ Jesus, in order that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, that is, believing that Jesus died for our sins, and that we receive the circumcision of the heart by faith. See? But that's what we're looking at. And not by works of law, because by works of law, no flesh shall be justified, see? Now then, this brings up a conundrum if you think that that is the law of God, okay? Because Jesus said when the young rich man came to him and said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What did he say? Just believe in me. <laughs> no, he didn't. He said, Keep the commandment. Before I go any further, I want to mention there are several things that you need to read about in the Passover book. Now, the Passover book covers every single challenge against the truth of God that we know of. Now, there was a time when I had the first edition, and this is the third edition right here, okay? The first edition, I went with another man down to uh, Tyler, Texas, to where Garner Ted Armstrong was and Ron Dart was. So Garner Ted didn't want to see me, but I caught him in the hall, and I got a handshake as he was heading out, and he turned me over to Ron Dart. So Ron Dart looked at it, and he thumbed through it, and he said, well, why do you have to write so many pages about the Passover? Well, I told him the answer is simple. It is one of those things of God that everyone attacks or neglects or misrepresents, and it is the heart and key and core of our relationship with God through the sacrifice of Christ. So that's where we come in with the situation, with the practices of Judaism. Now let's go to Titus, the first chapter, and let's see what Paul wrote to Titus concerning this, so that we all are prepared. We all know what the truth is, so that we are not caught off guard and end up in trouble and difficulty because we don't understand the truth. See? So here's, here's what... Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 1, okay? Let's begin in verse 9. Holding steadfastly to the faithful word. And the faithful word is what? The word of God, given to us in truth by his spirit, preserved and written for us, okay? The faithful word according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, so that you may be able both to encourage with sound doctrine and to convict those who are gainsayers. Now that means that you present the truth in the most powerful way possible so that those who are gainsayers will be revealed as gainsayers and going against the truth. See? And today, that's especially important, because today we have a whole society. Everybody in the world is, tra is trained to a short attention span. 
But when you get to the things of, of the Bible and God, you can't summarize it. Now, if you summarize it, when you know the details and can summarize it, that's fine. But you need to learn the long version, okay? And the Passover book is the long version. And so I encourage you to get that and really read it, okay? Now notice what else he says here, okay? Verse 10, For there are many rebellious and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now think about what Paul and all the apostles had to deal with. Because there were many of those who in Judea during the days of Jesus when he was carrying out his ministry, they saw him, they heard him, they heard his words, but what did they do? They took those words and started incorporating their own teachings with them. Okay? And the Jews would come along and say, well, you got to be circumcised in order to be saved. And they, they were proclaiming there, it's impossible to be saved if you're not circumcised. Well, they didn't even learn the lesson of Abraham, right? Okay. So that has to be handled. Various other things today we have to handle. What do you mean born again? What do you mean born of God? Why do we keep the Sabbath? Why do we keep the Passover and Holy Days? And all of those things we need to learn and relearn and go over so that we will be able to carry them out in the way that they should be carried out. And that all of the elders who are going to be coming on and speaking every week, that they themselves will grow in grace and knowledge and understanding so that we are all on the same page, and that same page is Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's where it has to be. And especially with the world, the way Satan is going, and the world turned all upside down. Okay? Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who are subverting whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of selfish gain. Okay? So that's what we need to do with these things that we need to understand. Now, I also want to mention this paper by Lester Graby and Robert Kuhn. You need to read this and understand it because this was, how should we say, the depth charge that was planted in the Worldwide Church of God, which then helped to disintegrate it. See, because once you go against the Passover, and once you go against the Word of God, and once you start adding to it the traditions and teachings of men that are contrary to what God is, wants us to learn, then we start getting in trouble. Now, I want to pro-offer one thing. What was the first telltale problem that led to the demise of Worldwide Church of God and three ambassador colleges? That was when they wanted to accredit Ambassador College so that their courses would be accepted in other colleges and credited. Now, to be accredited by whatever organization it is for colleges and universities, you must hire professors that they recommend. So guess what happened? That's how the world 
started coming in to Worldwide Church of God. And that's how doctrines were gradually changed. And many of the leading men there went to what is called Azusa College or University, just down a few miles from where Ambassador College was. And they never told the brethren that Azusa College was what? A college to train Protestant ministers. And that's the next step. See? So this is why it's very important that what we do, we need to plan for anything that transpires. See? Now, I personally think that this arrangement is going to last quite a while before my demise. Okay? But that's good because everyone is going to have more opportunities, as Steve Durham brought out, and they're going to be able to be able to increase in their ability of speaking and knowledge and presentation of their speaking. Because, you see, everything that we do in speaking is not for ourselves. It is so that we can teach the brethren. Now, think about this for a minute. And as I explained at the conference to all the elders, you need to understand this. Jesus said to those he sent out on an evangelistic tour to go preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach about the coming kingdom of God, preach about repentance and so forth. And he says, everyone that receives you receives me. And everyone who receives me, Jesus said, receives the one who sent me. So this means what? The highest priority of teaching the brethren is this. When we speak the word of God, it's not for us or glory to us. It is God's word that we're speaking, which comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ, to the brethren, because God wants the brethren taught and to learn and to live by, as Jesus said, every word of God. So that's why we have these things the way that we do. And so I hope that you appreciate what we are doing and encourage everyone who also participates that they will be able to increase in grace and knowledge and understanding and doing the things that we need to do. See? Now, let's come to Second Timothy, the third chapter. This is how it needs to be for us. And this is how it needs to be as we're approaching the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, verse 15. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, And that from a child you have known the holy writings, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. See, now remember, all the apostles only had the Old Testament to preach from until the Gospels were developed and until the book of Acts was developed, until Paul's epistles were developed, and then the finality of it with the book of Revelation through John. But notice this. This is important. Verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. And the word breathed 
comes from the word pneuma, which means spirit. So this could literally be all scripture. That means each and every word is God-spirited. And think about this. What did Jesus say in John 6, verse 63? The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit. God breathed, God spirited, and they are life. And the whole purpose of it is the end to be eternal life for all of us, right? All Scripture is God-spirited and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. And every good work is every time we have an opportunity to teach. Okay? Now then, notice what he says, chapter 4, right here. I charge you. Okay? Now, we take the charge as elders and ministers as a charge directly from Jesus Christ and from God the Father. Now, this also applies to everyone else. When you hear the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, what are you going to do? Let that correct you, as Paul said. Let that teach you as God wants it. Okay. I charge you, therefore, in the sight of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ, who is ready to judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. There it is right there. Preach the word. Be urgent in season and out of season. That shows what? They were keeping the Sabbath and the holy days, right? Because what does it say there in Leviticus 23? These are my appointed feasts which you shall proclaim, okay, in their season. In season, out of season, convict, rebuke, encourage with all patience and doctrine. For there will come a time when they will not tolerate sound doctrine and even some of those that followed the Apostle Paul and were elders. And they quit and gave up and went on their own. They wanted to do their own thing. But according to their own lust, they shall accumulate to themselves a great number of teachers having itching ears to hear what satisfies their cravings. Okay? And they shall. Now, this is true. You look at what happened, because we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread coming up, which is what? What's the motto of the feast? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Look at what has happened to all of those who have done what Paul just wrote about to Timothy. Where are they today? And they shall turn aside unto myths. As for you, be vigilant in all things. Endure hardship. Not going to come easy. Do the work of an evangelist, fully carry out your ministry. Then he says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Then he says, I fought a good fight. There's a crown of life laid up for me and all, all who believe in Jesus. Okay? So, brethren, the truth is, how long, much longer do we have before we see the events that bring in the final seven-year period that is talked about in Daniel 9? And then all of the end-time events take place? We don't know. Many times we get right up to a point we think it's that we're there, but we're not. So since we're not there yet, we need to do exactly 
what the Bible is teaching us and leading us and asking the Holy Spirit of God to lead us and guide us with the direction of Christ and God the Father. So with that, we will end Sabbath services for today. So until next Sabbath, so long, everyone.